Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where I share inspiring stories of ordinary people who walk out God's Word and discover radical results along the way. Friends, welcome to Walk It Out. Now, there are stories in here that are so meaningful to me because I know the people personally, and this is one of those stories. Today's guest is Zach Clunt. Now, you may not be familiar with his name, but you may have heard his story. In March 2014, Zach went and um, took part in some vandalism around Kalispell, Montana, and one of those places he vandalized was an abortion clinic. And because of that, it made national news. And his family was involved in this legal battle. And the challenges um, that he faced were extreme. There was court cases, there was fines, he was put in prison. But today we're going to hear the story that goes behind that. Zach, you see, is one of my son's very best friends going up. He was in our home constantly. But what I didn't know and what his parents didn't know and, and so many people for many years was Zach's struggle with alcoholism. So Zach is just going to be so real and honest today and share about his struggle, share about where that led him, share about his time in prison, and share how he found freedom. So I know that you will enjoy listening to Zach. Well, friends, welcome back to Walk It Out. And what I love about the show is I'm able to talk to all sorts of people. Some people you've heard of, some people you haven't heard of. But my main heart and my goal is to talk to people who have really um, just had their lives transformed by God and they're walking out what he's asking them to do. And it's so fun because I have a special guest today. And um, I have known him since he was five years old. (laughs) He's one of my son's best friends growing up. And his story really is one of transformation. Um, It has a lot of heartache. It has a lot of pain. But God has brought a lot of joy, redemption, grace into his life. And so my guest today is Zach Clunt. So welcome, Zach. Hi, Mrs. Goyer. <laughs> now, this is super fun because, uh, you know, we did Growing Kids God's Way back in the day, and I was always Mrs. Goyer because age doesn't make us equal. So, <laughs> but the fun thing is, is um, you know, I, when I think of Zach, I think of Legos. I think of burritos that him and Corey used to make. I think of um, all the all the joy that we had watching him grow up um, and all the prayers that we've sent up for him. But Zach, why don't you just start by telling us just a little bit about your growing up years and kind of how things changed um, once you got into adulthood. Yes, of course. Um, Well, first I'd like to say that uh, 10 minutes before we headed to come to your house, uh, this is a I'm I'm in your house right now doing this interview, and that that's been just a privilege uh, to be with your family again, and because um, we we traveled all the way up from Montana. Yes. So, um, 
got to see the family again. And uh, but ten minutes before we drove to your house this evening, my my grandma passed away, and uh, my mom. It was my mom's mom, and the biggest concern my mom had was questioning if she uh, had gone to heaven or not. And and uh, I just want to. The first thing I wanted to say tonight was that um, becoming a Christian and believing in Lord Jesus Christ uh, is the most intellectual and the bravest and most exciting thing a person can do with their life. And uh, he uh, has radically changed my life, and and, uh, I guess I'll be telling the story of that. But, um, yeah, I was born in... Kalispell, Montana, and um, <laughs> a lot of people forget Montana is a state, but <laughs> um, to Kenny and Twyla, and they are some of the highest caliber people uh, I know, and I was privileged to be born to them, and uh, I have one sister, uh, and I, as long as I can remember, um, remember you guys in my life mm-hmm. um, just one big family so um, I went to Christian school and went grew up in the church uh, had an incredible childhood and um, just to give you a, a gauge of, of how tough my parents really are I uh, I grew up at this Christian school I, I played soccer and um, I grew up with Tourette's and I had verbal and audible tics. And uh, <laughs> I remember playing soccer this one year, and I had a, a verbal tick where it sounded like a chirp. And uh, my muscle tick was I liked to feel my rib cage hit with my arms. So I'd like, I'd smack the side of my rib cage with my arms. And the combination of that looks like a chicken <laughs> balking up and down the field. <laughs> That's our son. <laughs> Man, they're strong people. Um, I did. I grew up uh, with Tourette's, and uh, a little bit later, I, I developed uh, depression, um, and then anxiety. I grew up with a lot of anxiety, uh, even though I was in such a stable and incredible home. Um, but... <laughs> the older I got, even though I went to a great school, um, I didn't really like school. I didn't excel in it. And uh, when we got to high school, I just didn't like the environment. So I bounced around uh, to a couple different schools. And my freshman year of high school, I ended uh, in the Goyer classroom, homeschooled, by, homeschooled <laughs> by you. So lots of frozen burritos and... <laughs> school time up in Montana. So um, that was the end of my um, formal education uh, for now. I did go to college later. But um, I told my folks I was done with, with school for now, and they said, well, if you're not going to learn traditional way, you're, you're uh, going to learn a different way. And so... Um, what they did for a living was flip houses. They were house flippers. and um, I loved doing that. I helped them uh, since I was 9 or 10 years old. And, and by the time I was 12 years old, I decided that's what I wanted 
to do with my life. And so they, they bought a house for me uh, to flip on my own when I was 16. And it was uh, not the normal type of house they would buy. You could stand in the kitchen and look up and see the sky. So um, they told me that I was in charge of everything. I was in charge of hiring, budgets, dealing with the city, um, ordering material, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. So uh, I did that for nine months um, when I was 16 and it uh, for a 16-year-old boy, it, it really filled me with a lot of pride. Um, I started to develop uh, entitlement issues. and Because um, I, I remember one day I counted how many grown men were on the job site that were working for me on this house. And, and uh, I was just boasting in that. And it, it really kind of developed some bad things in me. But, um, and then all, all driven by a... a love for money that I had developed. So, um, also when I was 16, I started dating my first girlfriend and, uh, I met her when I was four years old and she was innocent and pure and I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And, uh, so I started dating her and, um, we got married when I was, I was 18 years old and, um, we saved our first kiss till our wedding day. Wanted to do do things the right way and not spur any uh, wrong ideas, I guess. And <laughs> I mean, it it wasn't my idea or desire to save our kiss. Um, that was hers. <laughs> but we made it, and uh, yeah, I married her when I was eighteen years old. So things at that point really looked like they were going well. You had money and people working for you and you were married. Um, when did things start to change after that? So around three months after I had gotten married, uh, my wife started to get sick. And uh, just such random pains she went through. She started developing headaches and random body pains and nausea all day, every day. And... Uh, Within a year, she was bedridden sick. Um, so that's the course uh, I was on with my wife, uh, but also with my career life. I was working for another house flipper. I was making $1,000 a week, and uh, my wife and I bought a, a foreclosure of our own, and I made $20,000 in a month, and in addition to my, my job. Um, and so I, I was still, you know, chasing the money and, and, uh, had my eye on focused on really unimportant matters. So that year was 2008. And as many of you can remember, that was, uh, the start of the great recession, burst of the housing bubble. Um, so, I achieved all that stuff. I, I knew what I wanted in life. I, I was on the right path, but all of a sudden, uh, the housing market collapsed. My wife is sick and there I was dealing with emotions that I did not like at all. Um, 
So I decided to try and be like Peter Pan and escape to Fantasyland. And uh, I found that that could be achieved uh, through alcohol. Um, I didn't. I didn't drink for no reason. I drank um, because it produced emotions in me that I hadn't felt naturally for years. But the thing was, um, it was a counterfeit sensation and the steep price that someone has to pay when they try and live their, their life that way. Um, it just consumes you. But I started drinking uh, to escape my wife being sick, to escape um, the housing market, because not only did uh, my job outlook look poorly, but my parents um, were losing everything they had worked for as well. So I'm just watching my life crash around me and, and I start drinking to deal with my problems. So did people know that you were drinking? Did they know that this was going on or was it something that you kept hidden? I've always been very secretive drinker. Uh, I mean, my, my wife and my folks knew that I would drink every now and again, but uh, no one knew the severity of it. And when the, I mean, when they when they asked the obvious if I had drank, I'd say yes, and I'd tell them some small amount that I had drank, but really, that was that was a lie. Um, I had gotten to the point with beer that I I mean I'm I'm kind of already a bigger guy, and alcoholics boost their boost their tolerance, and I got to the point where. I couldn't drink enough beer. Um, I, I couldn't keep that much liquid inside of me. So what I'd end up doing is, is drinking and then purging myself and drinking more. And I'd do that the whole evening uh, until I switched to hard alcohol um, a few years down the road. And from then on, I drank a half gallon of hard alcohol a day for every day. For a number of years. And I know, you know, you grew up in a Christian home and, um, you know, the faith and God. And I mean, was there conflict inside you when it came to drinking and it came to, you know, thinking about God or believing in him? So, I mean, I, I turned 18 and I had a lot of things going on. I got married and I'm uh, trying to do that all right. And, um, I mean, I, I felt like a man, um, I believe a boy becomes a man when a father tells him he's a man. And mine did a great job of that. Um, and it wasn't 18. That's when the government starts saying men are men. But uh, it, was, it was prior to that. And um, But where I failed was uh, when I, being ushered into manhood, I didn't, I didn't make the God of my parents my own personal God my Lord and Savior, um, and instead of making him my master, I mean, men and women get to choose their masters, but rest assured, they will have a master, and if they don't choose one, one will choose them, and I chose uh, to serve alcohol. Um, it became my master, and it, it became my identity, uh, an eight-ounce identity is what I call that, and that's the size of a beer can for anyone who doesn't know. Eight ounce identity and uh, my purpose was to drink it. So I, uh, it didn't 
necessarily bother me for the first couple of years, uh, but there did become a point where I did not want it anymore. Uh, there came a day when I realized that I could not stop. So take us back to like that conflict within you because your wife's still sick, the housing market's still not going great, and now you realize that you have this craving and this desire that you don't want anymore. How did you deal with that? Well, with everything uh, that you just listed going on in my life, it was it was pretty dark. Um, like I had mentioned before, I, I already had the depression and the anxiety. Um, depression where getting up out of a chair would seem like the largest task I could ever think of doing. Uh, <clears throat> and anxiety attacks where I'd hyperventilate and I couldn't breathe. I'd have what I'd call miniature heart attacks. I'd, I'd lay in bed for years. I would lay in bed and feel electrical shocks going through my body, which is a weird side effect of anxiety and, and, um, that, that is one reason why I, uh, I took to drinking so much is because I was self-medicating those, uh, those things I, I needed to deal with in my life. Uh, it, it took the anxiety and depression away temporarily, of course. Um, but, uh, with the torment and the drinking, um, suicide and darkness, uh, tormenting darkness. I, I like to describe it as one of the, the plagues of Egypt that, that God had taken out on Egypt, and it was the plague of darkness. And in Exodus, it, it describes that plague as a darkness that could be felt. So not only my outlook was dark, um, I mean, I did not like people. <laughs> Uh, looking out at humanity, I just, if you weren't my family, I really didn't care for you. Uh, people really just were, were not important to me. Um, so it wasn't just a gloomy outlook, but it was dark on the inside. I couldn't escape it. It was all consuming and, uh, suicide, uh, was always a present thought. And, and really it was the only loophole I could think of to get out of the, the trap I had found myself in, the, the alcoholism, the, the drinking. Um, it was the only loophole I, I felt made any sense. I couldn't walk down a train of thought uh, and come to a reasonable conclusion or solution that, hey, I could do this and become sober. Uh, suicide seemed like the only answer. Uh, if I wasn't meant to be sober in this life, uh, maybe I'd be sober in the life to come. And, uh, I never, I never came close to suicide until, uh, I took some substance. I, uh, I met with my doctor and, and we tried out some antidepressants. And, um, there was a couple times there where I was just, uh, a breath or two away from eternity. I had the, the hammer pulled back. My finger was on the trigger, um, ready to, ready to just get rid of the torment and uh and god spared me he gave me mercy because um, i misplaced my faith i put faith in in death but there is no mercy in death only mercy in christ and he's he saved me i was i was so close 
Now, um, did you reach out to your parents or try to get their help during this time, or when did they get involved in trying to to help you with this? Um, my parents are my biggest champions uh, here on earth. They they champion for me like I have never seen. Um, their dedication to being my parents, even though they didn't. Uh, support my choices they supported me um, and so what I was doing affected them so deeply it just it hurt them I, I'm not a, uh, a father yet so I can't begin to imagine going through that with a child but um, I know it hurt them and uh, they, they'd fight every way they could for me so um, <laughs> they wanted me to go to treatment for years, and I, I didn't. But uh, until my wife left me, um, during our fifth year of marriage, she left and told me to go to treatment, and she'd think about coming back. So I, uh, I went to a, a treatment center in Billings, Montana. And, the, I mean, did that help? Where did you go from there? So I, I showed up at this treatment center, and uh, it's like a 25-day treatment center, and I show up and say, hey, I have a problem with substance. And their response was, oh, good, we have some more substance for you. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they had me on all sorts of antidepressants and anti anti-anxiety medications um, they had me on three medications on very high doses uh, but the problem was a pill will not change moral character and that was my problem uh, was my moral condition uh, I had a sick heart and no pill can deal with that so what happened after you got back from treatment? When I got back, I had found out that uh, my wife was seeing some guy, and that was devastating to me. Um, just all the stuff we'd been through together, her, her sickness and my sickness, <laughs> um, we were just... Uh, We've just been through so much, and and uh, it just it shook my world. So I got back around Christmas time, and I was able to stay sober uh, for a couple months. Uh, and when when the month of February came around, uh, that was a big month for me. Um, I started having side effects on my medication. Uh, the dose that they put me on and the speed on which they put me on it, it's called titrating. They, uh, they brought me up way too fast. And I started to have side effects from that. I started hearing voices and seeing things. It was, uh, it was a rough month. Um, also that month was the last com- time I had communication with my wife. She had sent me a, a message saying that uh, I scared her to death, and uh, her health is at 
and she never wants to see me again. So uh, that all came kind of at the end of the month of February, and March 1st was our, our wedding anniversary. It would have been six years, March 1st. It just seems like more and more keeps building up. Um, what happened after that? So my folks had, hadn't taken a vacation in a very long time, and uh, they were able to go on vacation. And so there I was <laughs> dealing with the loss of my wife, uh, hallucinating and um, just not doing very well at all. And uh, March 1st came around, and, uh, well, a day or two before, I had quit cold turkey all my medications. And that's how people kill themselves or other people. And it's just not a safe thing to do. And then on March 1st, I relapsed on alcohol. And so it begins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I was just so done with living. I was so angry. I had relapsed and I went to an ex-employer and uh, I burglarized his property and I went on a a crime spree. I, I burglarized him and stole from him and I went home and uh, fell asleep and woke up and started drinking again. Uh, matter of fact, this whole thing took about four days and um, I drank the whole time uh, nonstop and I was I was blacked out for these four days and it actually it took me about a year to uh, remember even basic stuff about it um, but there are still some some fuzzy parts but uh, I woke up and started drinking again and I went to my brother-in-law's house and I burglarized his house I took his gun collection and I was just so angry with him he was encouraging my wife to leave me and we grew up as as really good friends and and I continued drinking and I went to a health clinic and I had I had known that this health clinic just moved and so I figured there'd be no security set up yet and although my drug of choice was alcohol um, with my wife being sick, uh, she had pain, pain pills. My mom also suffered from migraines, so I would use pain pills um, quite often in addition to alcohol. So I went to this clinic and I broke open some medical cabinets and I was on my phone, I Googled all the medications in there trying to see how I could get high off them. And, um, the more I broke, the better I felt. And I stayed there for a couple hours, just raging against everything, raging against life. And uh, I went to bed and I woke up and I started drinking again and I went to a bail bondsman's office. And this guy was our family friend. He, he was hoping to uh, hand me over his business. Like we were, we were close. Uh, I knew his nature. Um, bail bondsmen are kind of Wyatt Earp types. They get, they have a lot of privilege, uh, especially in Montana. So he always had, he always had a gun on him 
and many guns near him and around him. And um, my intention was to break into his office, which was also his house, and have him kill me. And I went to one of the doors and realized I needed another tool. So I walked back to my car, and on my way back to his office, uh, the police came and arrested me. So as you're, I mean, being arrested, what, what's going through your mind? I mean, were you aware of, like, this is going to change everything or, or being arrested? Like, did you think, how did I find myself here? Or The feelings I experienced from that point on were just dread and misery. The, I, I listed several crimes, but um, most of, well, all of them really but one were forgotten. And it was the health clinic. Um, because not only was it just a health clinic, but it was an abortion clinic. And my mom, along with you, mm-hmm. uh, founded Hope Pregnancy Center Ministries. Uh, well, my mom, you, and one other lady uh, founded a crisis pregnancy center uh, for ladies with surprise pregnancies uh, where they could get help. And uh, when I committed this crime, my mom was still on the board. You had moved to Arkansas, but mom was still on the board, and um, that is how I knew they had just moved. So with that all being the case, um, it became very big news, uh, national news. Um, And when it came to local newspapers, it seemed like we were mentioned forever, almost daily, and it was miserable. I know they weren't just talking against you for what you did, but also your family. Um, what were some of the, the things that they were saying in those reports? Um, the media had uh, made it look like a big conspiracy um, with the, the head of that of Clear Choice Clinic to my mom to me to they even threw in. A politician that we knew and they formulated some conspiracy and and um, they would not stop attacking other people and then that hurt me so much because um, it was one thing if they said something about me because I did bad things um, but they just it just made me hurt that other people were suffering because of my bad choices and so it started off you found yourself in the county jail um, what was it like those first months at the county jail? So getting to county jail, uh, it wasn't like it changed anything. Um, cause I was still sick Zach. I was heart sick Zach. Um, still identity was alcohol and my purpose was to drink it. And, uh, matter of fact, uh, <laughs> A few of my buddies that I had made in there uh, in county jail and I had planned on uh, getting out of there and becoming moonshiners, uh, living up in the Rocky Mountains and drinking and staying away from people. And um, so I was still very much zigzag. Um, 
and not much changed for the first four and a half months. And at four and a half months, we went before my judge, Judge Limpus, and we asked him for a reduction in bail. And my family's all there, and I'm there, and um, we asked for this reduction in bail or, or just straight release. And the judge says, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, instead of lowering it or releasing you, we're actually going to increase your bail. Uh, so they increased it to 110000 and um, that was the best thing that ever happened to my, in my life up until that point. I mean, looking back, you definitely see that's the best thing, but what did you feel like? All of a sudden, you're thinking, okay, I could get out of here, I could go back and do my thing, you know, I mean, then all of a sudden, you're not going to be getting out anytime soon. Yeah, hope, yeah, hope deprived makes the heart grow sick. I mean, I was... I hated county jail. I hated it. Uh, I, I had a DUI uh, when I was 23, and I was in there for a night. But this this was many months, and it just seemed just like hell on earth. I I just hated it. Uh, so I was I was not happy at all, and uh, and that's when I came up with loophole number two. Um, Suicide was loophole number one, but this new discovery I made was that um, I could not drink properly, like a proper alcoholic, because of my torment. Being raised the way I was in a Christian home and living the way I was living, uh, being a slave to alcohol, uh, my torment stopped me uh, from really living, I thought. So... um, my goal was to disprove God. If I could disprove him, I could drink like a proper alcoholic. And I went in to this, um, I guess, search, if you want to call it that, with the parameter of God either is or he is not. He is either everything or he is nothing. And I, for the first time, I read the Bible cover to cover. Uh, I read books for the Bible. I read books against the Bible. I, I talked to people. Uh, that I was in jail with. I reviewed all my life experiences. And after searching for a couple more months, um, I came to my conclusion. And the answer was, God is not dead. He is alive and well and still the ruler of the universe and still glorious and great despite my choices. So tell me about that moment. I mean, was it was it one moment where it's just like, yes, this is true, and yes, I'm going to live for him no matter what happens from here, or was it like a slow waking up? What? How did that change when you were in county jail? When I came to that realization, it changed me. It rocked my world. I, couldn't, I can't give you an exact day of when it happened, but I remember... <laughs> I remember when I came to the the conclusion of my my dis, my search, uh, it shook me. It called for radical change in my life. So, I know you have hope now. You have maybe some joy in there. I mean, realizing that God is there, but you're still in county jail. You're still facing these charges. You talked about that. A lot of other charges were kind of pushed to the side because this you know this main thing about 
vandalizing this abortion clinic, even though you had that hope, there was still a lot of external problems. So how did you face all that? Uh, I just dug in. I, I started reading the Bible over again um, and just started learning. I, I, I applied myself to be diligent, to be transformed. Um, life was still hard. Uh, the news media was still um, talking about me all the time. There, there was this little TV in, in our pod and um, the fellas would be watching that all day, but every, every night the evening news would come on and more often than not, they'd yell my name and say, Zach, you're on the news. We're all watching. Come on down. So, um, and that was really, you know, <laughs> that was a soul conditioning sorrow, um, dealing with, uh, the news media and, and the whole conspiracy thing. Um, I mean, these people couldn't even get my age right. Uh, but they were going to tell me about me, and they were going to tell me about my mom and, and my family. Um, but God taught me so many valuable things, even through the hardest stuff such as this. Uh, he, ta he taught me that I don't have to waste my weapons on the words that other people say about me, because it is what He says about me uh, that really matters. And, um, and then after what He says about me, it's what I say about me. And uh, he gave me a bunch of great things to say about myself in his word. So when did you get out of the county jail and what happened after that? So at six and a half months, so I had spent four and a half months in, uh, the judge kept me in uh, for another two months uh, or, or two and a half, two to two and a half months. So um, my, uh, I had two awesome family families come together and they posted property for my bail a quarter million dollars of property and um they they got me out of jail and um i had made a friend named anthony shoal uh, in county jail and, and the very the first time i went to the judge to try and get out anthony he asked me he said are you scared to get out and i said yes i i am scared to get out i cannot live my life without drinking. And um, so the second time where it looked like I'd have an opportunity to get out, he asked me again the night before, he said, Zach, are you scared to get out this time? And I said, Anthony, things are different now. I am changed. Things are different. And um, I was bonded out. And... <laughs> It was such an awesome day. Um, the The person I was when I hit the streets on that day had never existed before. Um, I guess you can say up until that day I was just human, Zach. Uh, Paul says that we are new creatures. Uh, and, and when you study that word, uh, new creatures in Christ, it means we're new species. Um, we are a royal race of people uh, we are just different we are different and that's how i felt i felt different i hit the streets a totally different person and uh it was amazing i i uh my mom so they had to bring some street clothes for me i couldn't wear my my little jumpsuit out on the street so that my mom brought me some clothes and uh i put them on and uh she she made a mistake they were my my little brother's clothes, 
<laughs> I mean, I don't have a little brother, but they, they had to be his clothes because they were way too small for me. Uh, that county jail uh, food really showed off my full figure. So I was in these little tight shorts and this shirt where my belly was hanging out and she had brought me some flip-flops and I walked out the doors and my family was there to greet me and um, that whole summer in county jail I had seen the sun only three times so I was so stimulated by everything I looked up at the sun and I there was this tree right when I walked out and I grabbed a fistful of leaves and I pulled them down to my face and I smelt them and I run, ran over to the tree and I I hugged it and I was just so full of excitement and just stimulation. I said, I'm out of here. I'm going for a run. Pick me up down the street. And I started just running with my my (laughs) flip-flops like a wild man. And uh, it was was a great day of my life. They they say, you know, there's different chapters in life. Well, there's some days where you can literally hear the page turn. And that was one of those days. So after you're out, I mean, and you have, I mean, you have, like you said, you're a new creature in Christ. Um, Did you ever struggle with wanting to drink again? So I got out of county jail and uh, my parents and I wanted me to go to a a good treatment center. Um, And there is a treatment center actually 30 minutes from our house and it's Wilderness Treatment Center. It's one of the top treatment centers in North America. And uh, a man I had never met and a man my dad had only met once found out uh, that we were trying to find a way to, to go for me to go. And he cut a, a check. He wrote a check for me to go. We couldn't, we couldn't afford it. It's a, it's a place for very wealthy people to send their, their young sons uh, for treatment. And, um, seeing as how my parents were still losing their stuff from the great recession. And then with my crimes that comes at a very high monetary cost. This man uh, showed us mercy and uh, helped us out. You know, I got bonded out of jail um, with my family having almost no resources. Uh, I was sent to a top treatment center in North America. Um, I somehow ended up with one of the best lawyers in Montana. And um, God just took care of me, His, his people. He used his people to take care of me, and people just poured into us. Uh, my church just poured into me. Our family just poured into us. And uh, so I went I went to this treatment center, uh, I think a week and a half after getting out of county jail. And it was great. I learned and I grew, and I developed uh, myself and my relationship with uh, Christ and with people, because um, before that, that day, I, I did not like people. So I had to relearn a lot of basic things. And, and it turns out people are amazing. So <laughs> um, I get out of that treatment center. And um, a couple months goes by. I was trying to earn a little extra money. Uh, splitting woods for some uh, family friends of ours. And they had to go run some errands. And they said, when lunchtime comes, help yourself to the pantry and the fridge. So I, uh, I'd gone in at lunchtime and like the, the lower shelves, like maybe two shelves had food. And then the top six, five or six shelves had 
like all the booze you could ever, it was like a liquor store in their house. I, I'd never seen anything like it. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, that was my first encounter being by myself with, uh, alcohol. No one would have known. Um, I guess proof is in the pudding at that point. And, um, I did have a tempting thought right then. I, I looked at one of the bottles of whiskey and I, I thought to myself, you know, you could have a nip of that. And then I had another thought, and my thought was, Zach, you've never had a nip of anything in your life. <laughs> you've abused alcohol every time you've ever drank it, uh, to the point of drinking mouthwash. I mean, I was just, I was a drunk of the hopeless variety. Um, it's such a miracle that I'm still alive. You, If you knew how how hopeless I really was, you'd know what a miracle it is uh, that I'm even here today. God has spared me and saved me because uh, I just, I, I can't imagine. I, I'm almost five years sober. It's, uh, he has given me a second chance at life. Uh, really, it's more like 1,112 chances. <laughs> so, uh, he's the God of Mulligans and that's good for me. But, um, Yes, I had that thought of the whiskey, and um, instead of doing what I always done, I did something different, and I prayed to God. I prayed for remembrance, and he gave me a memory of when I was sitting in county jail, and one of the many, on one of the many visits my folks made to see me in county jail. Uh, my mom had brought a newspaper. She was reading to me uh, one of the letters to, to the editor. Um, it was comparing me to Adolf Hitler, to the Boston Bombers, to the men who brought down the Twin Towers. And my mom was crying at that point. And then she continued reading, and it said... And we hate Twyla Clunt for giving birth to a monster like Zach. And just seeing her face with the tears and you have the glass in between you, you're talking on phones. I remembered that moment. So I called my mom up and instead of doing what I always have done, I called her. And I didn't tell her what was wrong. We had just a couple minute conversation I just wanted to hear her voice and then I hung up and I called my sponsor because uh, I also participated in AA now uh, one of the things my parents uh, wish I had had done and uh, I was now doing that so I called my sponsor and he told me to just get out of there for a little bit go take a breather so I did and uh, I made it. I made it through. Um, God taught me right then that truth is not theory. Uh, his word is truth, and His word says uh, a free man in Christ is a free man indeed. And He had set me free, and and I was able to say no one time, and that means I can say no forever. So you're walking in freedom, spiritual freedom. But you still have this court case, and you still have the national media, and you know you still have to face the vandalism of this abortion clinic. 
What happened from there? So in between county jail and my sentencing day, there was a lot of time in there. I think it was seven months. And uh, I'd gone to treatment, and I started going to AA, and I started leading AA groups, and I went um, back to school um, because I I was almost done with two years of I had gone to school for criminal justice before, <laughs> which is funny. I I thought it'd be cool to be a cop, but it turns out that's not going to happen. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I went back to school uh, and actually did uh, a semester of school sober. And it uh, turns out when I'm sober, uh, I do all right in school. I made the dean's list, and um, I I was loving it. Um, I was really excelling building up to sentencing day. And, and uh, my lawyer said he's never seen anyone do so great waiting, waiting for prison. Um, it's usually something that can really just take the vinegar out of you. So uh, God was just blessing me and continue, continuing to develop me into what it was I needed to be. And um, matter of fact, one of the ways he taught me that I need to be was uh, he compared my situation to uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, was wanting those three men to bow down and worship a false God. And um, they said, no, we're not going to do it. And he gave them a second chance and said, bow down. And uh, they said, no. And he said, you guys don't get it. There's not a God on earth or in the universe uh, that can spare you from me. Uh, this is the king of the known world, pretty much, the Babylonian king. And what the, their response was, um, you know, the God we serve, Yahweh, uh, he can spare us from your fire. He can spare us from your flame. But if not, we're just going to continue to be faithful. And uh, he taught me to live my life in those months in that manner. And um, it was it was interesting. I, I mean, a lot of I talked to a lot of people waiting for sentencing, um, Christians and non-Christians, but... Uh, I'd, I'd even be talking to Christians and, and they, uh, you know, they'd, they'd share their thoughts on, on me and my situation. And, and then I'd tell them this. I was so excited. I mean, the creator of the universe taught me a way to live my life at this moment. And I was so excited to share that. And uh, <laughs> I actually got a lot of pushback. Uh, Zach, don't even talk that way. If you just believe, if you just have enough faith, you won't go. And, and oh, man, that that would make me mad. I, <laughs> you don't get it. The person who had that capacity for selfish faith, I killed him in county jail. Uh, I'm tired of praying prayers of a beggar, treating God like he's a genie. Uh, I surrender. I'm ready for his life uh, to be applied to me. I'm ready to live the way he wants me to live. And um, that means being willing to go into the fires and the furnace uh, and remaining faithful. So, uh, and it's a, it's a, such an incredible thing that he, he gave me that gift to live that way. Okay. So now it's coming. Sentencing is coming up. Um, what did you think 
what happened or hope would happen. You said, you know, surrender now. And then what did happen at sentencing? So sentencing is usually a half hour deal. Um, but mine took three days and, uh, it was a big, big hoopla. It was something you'd see on TV, uh, just packed, packed courtroom, uh, tension, um, every day, every minute. It was just, uh, it was, it was quite the experience, but, um, I mean, I, I was a first time offender. My crimes were against property and, uh, my lawyer had made it clear that it, it doesn't make sense that I would go, uh, to prison and, uh, we were trying to work out a plea agreement, and um, so the the first day I went to sentencing, and and each day it continued. I I didn't know it was going to be continued. I thought we'd show up the first day and it would be done. And um, after the first day, he said, "Well, we'll finish it tomorrow." So um, I went home, and I I actually went up to Whitefish Lake Beach. Uh, it's a beautiful lake back home, and, and there's a mountain that looks over it. And I went at uh, sunset, and I was sitting up on the lifeguard tower. And the sun had set, and I could barely see the silhouette of Big Mountain. And, and I was just I was just soaking it in. I was just sitting there uh, thanking the Lord for living because my whole adult life I wasn't, I wasn't living. And he promises life in abundance, and he was following through in spades. I was just so excited, I had so much hope, and and uh, but in these in these thoughts to the Lord, looking out over the lake and the mountains, uh, it was impressed upon me. Zach, you're going to prison. <laughs> there I go talking to myself again. I thought. Uh, so I, I went back home, went to bed, woke up for the next day of sentencing. And, uh, they said, well, after a full day of that again, they said, well, we'll we're, we got to come back for a third day. And, and, uh, I woke up and I was getting dressed for the third day. Uh, and while I was getting dressed, I, I prayed a prayer to God for the very first time asking him to, uh, uh, spare me from this, but, um, I said, Lord, if it be your will, but only if it's yours, spare me from this. And, uh, during my prayer, Zach, you're going to prison. I took a deep breath and finished getting dressed and went to sentencing. And, uh, towards the end of that day, my lawyer was given the, the final, um, uh, summary and he was on fire. I mean, it was standing room only. He was on fire. He was saying all sorts of stuff. And I was, I was really starting to get jazzed up. Um, I wasn't smiling on my face, but I, I was thinking on the inside, man, he is making a whole lot of sense to me. And uh, in my joy of how well my lawyer was doing, Zach, you're going to prison. I said, okay, let's do this. Uh, the judge handed down the sentence, and it was it was wasn't only the worst possible outcome; it was a, above and beyond anything we could ever imagine. 
I did about $70,000 in property damage and my restitution uh, was set at $700,000. I was sentenced to Montana State Prison for uh, 20 years with 15 of those suspended. And because God taught me to live that way, with the but if not, I'm going to remain faithful. Because he taught me that, I was able to turn around and my mom and my dad and my sister were sitting right behind me with tears in their eyes. I turned around and I kissed my sister and I said, what a great adventure. I went to my mom, kisses, great adventure. What a great adventure. Went to my dad, I kissed him. I said, dad, what a great adventure. And the bailiff came and hauled me to county jail. And I, even going into county jail, uh, I was going in a free man. Um, I learned that circumstances are the rulers of the godless. And I was a man of God. And I was free. I was just going to be sleeping in a concrete room for a little while. So uh, where did you go after county jail? And, I mean, I can't even imagine those experiences. So I spent about a week uh, in county jail waiting for the prison transport. And I started picking up right where I left off in in my Bible reading, my cover-to-cover reading. And I was reading in Ezra. I was in chapter 4 or 5, and I had got a piece of mail already from my sister. Um, (laughs) And it was a, a letter of encouragement. And I had not gotten to chapter 10 yet, but... Her, her encouragement verse was Ezra 10, 4, and it says, Arise, for this is your responsibility. Take action. Something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and that meant a whole lot to me um, because I was really relating to Ezra at that point. He was uh, sent out on a mission, and he uh, was well-versed in Scripture, ready with heartful of ministry, but he was running into some things, and he started really having a hard time. And that one week waiting for the prison transport, it was it was getting a little hard. Um, uh, and then he prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, just give us a little reviving uh, in our burden, uh, because a little from him is so much. And uh, so she sent me that verse. And who who sends encouraging verses from the book of Ezra? I don't know, but it just ties in. I mean, God winks everywhere. And uh, so I finally was transported down to a place called Fish Row. It is uh, in Deer Lodge, Montana. It's part of the main prison. And uh, I didn't know this till I got there, but there are five different prisons in that state. Uh, Deer Lodge, Montana, Great Falls, Montana, Shelby, Montana, Glendive, and then a woman's prison in Billings. And uh, Fish Row is where they sort you. They categorize you and they sort you and they determine where to put you. And you're locked down 23 hours, sometimes all 24, all 24 hours in the day. You're locked down waiting for their decision. And what were you thinking you were going to go? I mean, you're still a first-time offender. And um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I spent almost two months there um, with uh, a very looking, 
a very scary looking native uh, man named Chris Plouf. Uh, and we spent a lot of time together, played a lot of cribbage. <laughs> but uh, that that was scary. He he had been to prison several times for stabbing people. And when I first saw him, I was like, oh man, good luck trying to sleep. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I spent two months with him and got to be pretty close with him. Um, but uh, I actually didn't even think the categorizing situation would take that long for me because I was a first-time offender. And um, the main prison in Deer Lodge on the low side is where people like me would go. And I was, a, I was eager to get there because you can go outside whenever you want. You can stare at the sun if you want. You can... Uh, they have a billiards table. They have wooden doors, uh, and you have a key to your door. It's 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 kind of considered a like a college campus almost. And um, I really just was waiting for the day that I could be told I'm going. Uh, Monday nights they do a thing called lottery night, and there's nothing to do there. So every Monday night everyone would stay up till like eleven or. 12 at night waiting for lottery to come. And I was so convinced that I was going to stay in Deer Lodge that one lottery night, uh, an officer came to our cell and I looked at my cellie and I laughed at him and I said, it looks like you're getting out of here. And he said, no, you. And uh, (laughs) instead of going to Prisneyland, that's what they called that place. (laughs) They called that place Prisneyland. Instead of going to Prisneyland, uh, I went to a prison that they call Gladiator School. Um, it's the worst prison in the state, and um, that's where I ended up going. I'm just thinking of little five-year-old Zach <laughs> and this little boy that used to run around my house, and now in the worst prison in the state. I mean, spiritually, you're still strong. But, I mean, what were the conditions like in that situation? Well, so lottery night's on a Monday, and they transport you on a Tuesday, and everyone got their jumpsuits, their orange jumpsuits. And, and for anyone who is not familiar what, with what orange is, like really, really, really faded, uh, the answer is pink. <laughs> and I got that jumpsuit. Um, so nothing like going to a new prison in a pink jumpsuit. So... <laughs> Uh, I, I was, I was ready to go. Um, I was ready for whatever God had in store for me. And, uh, I get there and I just realized really what a den of wolves I found myself in. And, uh, that was one of the big truths God taught me in my life was, um, when you find yourself in a den of wolves, uh, it's not time to retreat. It's not time to isolate, to run away. It's just time to become a lion. Uh, he says in Proverbs that the wicked flee when no one chases them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And um, he will make us what we need to be um, that we couldn't otherwise be by ourselves. And um, I, I learned a lot in prison. Uh, after that lesson, my next lesson from my, my first, Bobby Price was my first real cellmate in prison. And uh, he had poured gasoline on his girlfriend and lit her on fire. And he had been in there for 22 years 
by the time I had gotten there. And uh, the lesson he said to me is, if you're going to be stupid, you got to be tough. And uh, I thought that was so great. And really, that's that's why I'm here today is uh, I've exercised my right to stupidity and I've I've taken the lumps that go along with that and I'm just here to share share this whole story but um, I love that story or that lesson he gave me and um, prison was a very interesting experience uh, there's nothing like it don't try it out but there's nothing like it so how long were you in there total I was in that prison for a year and a half and um, yeah I just you know in my my private journal I I had written, I mean, I really did love my days there. I would wake up and I would read the Bible for four or five hours. I'd read other books. I'd write. And uh, I discovered I really liked writing, uh, even though I have a lot of work to do on it. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I talked with people. And and that was just, I loved that. I just, and I wanted to do it ever forever, just not there. So was there any conversations that you had that you were able to offer hope to someone? Yeah, there's there's several stories of uh, awesome appointments that God had set up for me uh, to be at. And, uh, one of those was with a man named David Keith. He, uh, For his crimes, he was given the death sentence twice. And um, 11 days before his execution, uh, the governor granted him clemency. Uh, and he was a Christian um, up until the day of clemency, and then he wasn't. <laughs> he, uh, when, by the time I met him, he was in prison for over 30 years, and um, he was kind of a Buddhist sort of fella. And uh, he started talking to me, and... Uh, a lot of my talking was Bible talking, and so we'd talk about that, and he'd tell me everything wrong with it. And, um, and we started having Bible studies. After a few weeks of Bible studies, he said, You know what, Zach? Um, I think it's time that I actually, for real, just give my life over to Jesus. And, and we prayed, and, and I looked up, and he's a pretty funny character. During, during his crimes... Uh, he was actually shot in the head. So the way he talks and his mannerisms, are they make me giggle. He, he's a very gentle man, and, and the way he says phrases things, it's just very gentle and very, just very fun. And he, he was crying, and he said, he said, after all these years, I've built up such a callus. It's good to know that there is still hope. And um, another young man I had the privilege of meeting was Craig Poitra. And I spent a couple months uh, meeting with him and having Bible studies and going out to the yard and just spending time with him. And, and one night we weren't even having a Bible study, but he came up to me and he said, Zach, it's time. It's time that I, I prayed and accepted Christ to be my, my king and uh, so we we did that prayer and we ended up sitting down and reading scriptures and just enjoying our night. And the next day was April Fool's Day, April first, and uh, he actually had a brain aneurysm that very next day. 
and uh, what great timing God has. Um, there's all sorts of stories of, of people I got to talk to and, and uh, people that grew me and, and people that uh, God allowed me uh, to influence them uh, toward, toward a relationship with God. And, um, it was a profitable experience. You know, as I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of this, you know, just remembering all the parenting classes and time with your parents and, and praying. And we'd always, you know, pray for our kids to do great things for God that we never imagined that sometime the path would be so hard and the great things that they would do for him and with him would be in places like that. So God was definitely working there. Um, when did you get out and then what happened after that? So after four months of being in there, the prison uh, decided that they were going to let me out to pre-release. But um, my my victim uh, wrote a letter to them and, and that was taken away. And They said, I have to see the, the parole board. So I went to see the parole board and uh, just great support. 150 personal testimony letters written on my behalf. I had 10 people show up, which is unheard of. Um, Someone is very blessed if they have a person show up, and uh, so and and again, my my victim uh, showed up, and um, I was denied parole and um, made to sit for another year. Uh, but at the end of so, at a total of a year and a half, at the end of all that, I was allowed to go to a boot camp program. Um, it's located at the base of a mountain. Uh, mighty Powell Mountain in Powell County, and uh, it was awesome. <laughs> it I was one of the last uh, squads to go through there. Uh, after over 20 years, uh, they actually shut it down, which is very sad. Um, but the the forces we battle every day are real. There is intelligent uh, darkness, intelligent evil out there that we do battle with, and. Um, that place shut down, and I am confident it shut down because uh, Christ was shared there. Uh, just amazing staff members. Um, incredible place. Uh, four months of, of being broke down and built up by uh, warriors of our country. Uh, it, was, it was incredible. And I came out the other end with a very dear friend. He, he was one of my sergeants. Uh, at that boot camp, and, and today I call him brother, today I call him friend. Um, and then after after this boot camp program, there was an aftercare uh, where we were for three months, and and that was great. Um, I started going to this church um, the, the very first Sunday I was allowed to, because uh, we're kind of living on the streets, but in a facility. Uh, and the very first opportunity I could I started going to this church and uh, within I think two or three weeks uh, 30 booters that's what they're called I know it's a silly name but that's what we were labeled as uh, 30 booters were going to this church and there's only 40 of us in the in the aftercare program so uh, most of them were going and it was great uh, no one was forcing them to go it was they went on their own accord um, the God, God drew him to himself, and especially after 
being followed up by the, the boot camp program and the experiences they had there. Um, I was made a, a squad leader, and so I'd have to take people on runs. And during one of my runs, we we're, we run along the Missouri River, beautiful big old river. And and uh, one night we were running the river, and and we got down in the water, and we baptized two two booters, and uh, we just it was great. Saw life being changed and people growing, and um, it was such an exciting mission field. I know you were saying mothers don't uh, picture their kids going to prison and, you know, when they, when they think about what, what their kids might be doing for God, they don't, they don't picture that, but I'll tell you what, it was, uh, it was lucrative for the kingdom uh, in my own personal life. It was, it was very rich time in my life. I, I loved it. uh, Just seeing God, move and work in people's lives it was it was great so how long has it been since you've really been home and then what what's your desire now what's your desire for the kingdom well i am a carpenter (laughs) uh that that is what i do uh i'm uh working in the cabinet shop clausen customs uh best cabinet builders in the state of montana (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I love it. That's my uncle and my cousin. That's who I work with, and they're incredible men. Uh, we have Bible studies uh, throughout the day. We listen to teachers, and it's it's awesome. And we make some really nice cabinets. So, uh, and then I work for my folks doing doing houses again. Um, so I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future, and um, I just I honestly believe. Um, He's going to guide me into each and every day. And uh, the way you start your day forms your whole day. And what you do today shapes all of your tomorrows. And as long as I wake up and I'm faithful faithful to him, uh, he will be faithful to me. And for now, I'm just being a carpenter and sharing my story. So I know that there's a lot of hurting people that listen um and maybe their struggle isn't alcoholism. Maybe it's something else. Um, what hope do you have to give them, those that are listening? There was a point in my my hopelessness and my addiction that, I mean, I was raised in the Christian church. I heard stories of what God can do to people uh, and for people and how he can change people's lives. But what good does that do me? I was... Uh, I was dwelling where the scary things live. I was in the darkest pit of my imagination. Um, During those years, years and years of alcoholism, uh, I mean, I still went to church. My dad, uh, Kenny Clunt, and and, uh, your husband, John, started uh, We Ones Worship, WOW program for kids. Um, And I'd, I'd still go every week to that, but... Uh, those are little kids, and and that that's fun stuff. And but if if a big kid ever uh, got to talking with me, and if they said uh, the name of of Christ or or God or tried to pray with me, um, my instant reaction was, uh, "Don't say his name to me. If you only knew what that person has done to me, um, I had misplaced my blame." Uh, there was many nights uh, shaking my fist at God, angry and bitter 
and how could my life be this way? Why is my wife sick? Why uh, can't I stop drinking? And I came to the conclusion that yes, God does exist, but he's not everywhere and he is not everything. Um, when they when they spoke his name or, or prayed like the the ooze and sickness of my heart would immediately, like the back of my neck uh, would get hot and, and all that nastiness inside me would come out. And uh, I would just feel overheated and, and irritated and I, I needed to get out of that environment. And and um, just what a scary place to be. Uh, oh, man. It, <laughs> it was loneliness like I'd never felt before in my life. But in reality, if I always do what I've always done, I'm always going to be who I've always been. And Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the giver of life. He is the author of life itself. He spoke this whole thing into existence. Uh, he has the power to set the captives free. He broke my chains and he can break anyone's chains of bondage, no matter what the bondage is. Uh, alcohol, drugs, sex, those are nothing to him if you just surrender. Um, and that was a big thing for me was learning what surrender means. Uh, I sat in jail like people keep writing me and say, Zach, just surrender, just surrender. I talk to people on the phone, Zach, just surrender. What can I do to surrender? I, I feel like I'm doing it. I got nothing left to do. And, and really... Um, I just needed to be willing to hate the things I loved and love the things I hate and uh, wake up uh, ready to to trash everything I had built myself up to be um, because uh, I had I had built myself I built myself up into whatever it was that I was I uh, a hollow fragile weak person. Um, that the wind could have crumbled. I, uh, and alcohol was the last place I wanted to go with God. I, I likened it to Jonah. Um, he, he was told to go to Nineveh and he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to Nineveh. Uh, those people are awful. They're creeps. They skin people alive. My people, they skin alive. And I'm not going to go there because I know how you are, God, you are compassionate and you are good. And I don't want that for those people. And, and that's kind of how I felt with, with alcohol. That was my Nineveh. I said, God, I am not going to go there with you um, because I know you. You are good and you are compassionate. And if I go there with you, uh, it would mean complete destruction for me. And my bitterness is all that I have. And my anger is all that I have. And if I go there with you, I am I am done for. And that's exactly where I needed to go. Complete surrender is giving it all up and being willing to go where you need to go with God. I love that. Thank you, Zach, for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. And I know God's going to continue to use you. Thank you, Mrs. Goyer, for having me. <laughs> Wow, friends, I am just so proud of Zach. I'm proud of his story. I'm proud of how he surrendered to God and how he changed things. And there's so much more of his story, um, just more of the darkness, more of the things that he struggled with. But what we really wanted to focus on is how he found freedom, 
how he found truth and what God is doing with him since then. And I am so excited. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do with Zach's life and how he's going to continue to share his freedom with others who may be going through the same things. So today's Walk It Out scripture is Psalm 118.5. And that says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. And I love that even though Zach still had to face prison, he faced it as a free man, someone who was free inside. And if you just see him now and the joy that's in his face, it truly shows the freedom that is from the Lord. So I just want to take a minute and pray. So dear God, I just thank you so much for Zach. I just remember him as a little boy and just the joy that he had. And I I thank you, Lord, that even though he faced such hardship, such struggle and how um, he just was so consumed with a desire for alcohol and how that just brought so much hardship to his life. I thank you for the freedom that you have brought him, Lord. I thank you so much that even in his distress, that when he called to you, you set him free. And I pray right now, Lord, for those of us who have others who are bound by alcohol, who are bound by substance, or who are looking for those things to kind of numb the pain, Lord, um, I just pray that they'll find freedom in you. And I pray that Zach's story will continue to go out and bring hope to others. Well, thank you, friends, for tuning in to Walk It Out. I know the podcast is a little bit longer, but I know that you would appreciate Zach's story. And on the show notes, I'll have links um, if you're interested in contacting Zach and um, having him maybe speak to your group. We'll be able to provide some links for you to do that. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I pray that you will be blessed. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.